It's wonderful to be with you all. Um, this is uh, after the first service. My wife turned to me. She said, "This feels really comfortable." I thought that was really good. Um, just good affirm- affirmation that God is leading, and uh, and actually it kind of leads into my message today because my first question for you is, have you ever felt like you you've gotten to that place to where you really feel like Oh, this is comfortable. You feel like settling in. I know, you know, it gets so hot outside now these days. You, you, if you just have a cold drink in your hand and you, you can sit underneath the air conditioning vent, you're good, right? Uh, you're going like, oh, this feels so good. This is where I want to be. And, you know, that, that might be a relationship that just is just right. Or it might be a job that you... You settle into and you go, this is perfect, God. Thank you so much. Or maybe it's a home that you bought. Uh, it's, maybe it's where you've been living for 50 years. Uh, there's that place. For me, you know, go to my grandma's house, you know, and I had my corner and I had my teddy bear. And, you know, that was the perfect spot to be, right? Especially if there was homemade ice cream as well. And, and you're just thinking about this. I, I, I think we're all wired to, to, I guess, desire that feeling of place and acceptance and and comfort. Um, we want that, don't we? But so often, life just screams by. Things happen. We don't know how they happen or even why they happen sometimes. But it unnerves us, and we don't have that feeling of being able to even settle in. Well, I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. And I, I think that, um, you know, we've all experienced those moments when we didn't feel settled. Uh, my wife and I, Janice, uh, we've uh, moved 19 times in our marriage together. We've been together almost 49 years now, coming up on it in September. And uh, but moved 19 times. Uh, we've been in 10 different cities, 10 different locations. Uh, now, granted, uh, there were a few more times when we were younger, going from place to place, being a youth pastor and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, you wonder, are we ever going to have a life where we feel like we settled down? And, and now, you know, we're retired, uh, kind of semi-retired now. And uh, we're, we're in Fresno and we're thinking, now, is this going to be where we're going to be for the rest of our life? Which is not that long, but, you know, settled finally. And so we're thinking about it and we think, now, actually, when we were thinking about retirement, we were thinking, oh, we've got a, we've got a kid, my son, Ben, he lives in Oregon, and he's got two grandkids for us, you know, and, and um, my daughter, it, she's in Fresno, Jamie, and uh, she's got four. And so you do the math thing, okay, we've got to go to Fresno, because um, there's more grandkids here, I guess, but, but we're going to try to go between both places more time now to do that, right? But... You think, where are you going to finally be in a position where you feel settled? And then on top of that, I read, I read this verse. It's very interesting. Luke 10, verse 7 says, Do not move around from house to house. What, what do you do with that one, right? I think that's a little out of context, but we'll move on. All right, so. Well, the, the Bible, I, I think, really speaks to this issue of where do we finally get to that place of of comfort, settling in, of, of rest. And, and I want to direct your attention to the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, your Bible app on your phone, whatever, uh, open it up to Acts chapter 17. 
Very interesting passage. You've probably heard somebody preach on this before. Maybe you've read it uh, yourself. But this is where Paul is in Athens, and he goes to a spot, basically where they, they have a whole bunch of idols. It's kind of like Idol Central, all right? And people are going up there, and they're, they're bringing their offerings, and they're, they're worshiping their idol of choice for the day, or whatever it is. And, and, and at that place, there is also an altar that is been placed there, and it says, to an unknown God. So they, they figured, among all these idols, all these gods with little g's, there is probably one God that we're not really aware of who he is or what he's about, but we recognize that there is probably an all-powerful God, and they have an altar erected to, to this God. Now, in, starting in verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting uh, and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at all the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because here it is, he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So this is the the one true God over all that has created all things and everyone. So he's got their attention. Now he goes on. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now here it is, underline this. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. I want to camp out there today. In him, God, Jesus, we live, we move, and we have our being. What does that mean? There are three things there. Three things there. Number one, in him we live. In Acts seventeen twenty five, it says, He himself gives all people life and breath. And, uh, and so we know from Genesis that God was the one who created all things, including man and woman and all the living things. And so John chapter one, verse three says, through him, talking about Jesus and God as one, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It's pretty comprehensive verse, isn't it? I mean, you read that and you go, okay, I get it. Everything that has been made has been made by God. Nothing's been made that wasn't made by him. Which makes it interesting to think about us as people that make things. Do you realize, if you think about it, uh, everything that we make is just kind of a reorganization project? Because we're taking raw materials, right? Right? That God made. We just 
kind of re, redistribute them or, you know, okay, we're making a computer. Great. Well, I need silicon chips and I need this and I need that. Well, God made all that stuff. And you know what's really interesting is that we've never made anything that God went like, oh, wow, you made that? That's so cool. He, he, he knows all the stuff that he made. And he's not surprised by the things that we kind of put together because he actually wanted us to kind of be creative with all the raw materials that he made. He knew we were going to make computers. He knew we were going to have cell phones. He, he knows how to do that stuff. You're not going to ever surprise God. But everything that we have is a product of God's original creation. I mean, think about that. And also think about the fact that God was the one who created you. Matter of fact, the Bible says that before the beginning of time, he had in his heart and mind to create you. That's right. I mean, that, that, that should just set you back. I mean, I, I've sat down and thought about that a while at, on different occasions. I think, wait a second. The God who created everything thought about me. And he said, yeah, I want to make that squeegee little guy, you know, and I want him to be born in Visalia, California for this time, place. And, and I'm going to gift him with these gifts and I'm going to give him these resources and I'm going to give him this family. God thought about Every one of you, every one of us is a thoughtful creation of the eternal God Almighty. Wow. Wow. That's huge. That is just huge. Now, you know that he created us, and it says in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Not just physically alive, but he also made us alive in Christ and through Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. You know, when sin entered the world, it corrupted God's idea of life. You know, when God created man in the very first place, he created him with the intent to live forever. What was one of the one of the trees that was in the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. And as they ate from that tree of life, it was intended for them to keep on living. I mean, there are all kinds of stories about, you know, the, the waters of life or the fountain of youth and things like that. It's more than a fairy tale. There, there was and there will be a tree if you go all, all the way to the end of the book. In Revelation, the, guess what's in the city of heaven? There's a river, and at the end of that river is the tree of life. God intends you and I to live physically forever. It was his original intention. We messed it up through sin, entering the world, and then God says, you know what, I'm going to take care of that for you. And so Jesus sacrifices himself to pay the penalty for our sin. So what? So that we could experience eternal life the way God originally intended in the first place. It's an amazing, amazing truth. And so God intends that we experience life through his grace. We've been saved. Philippians 1 verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ. 
Without Christ, we wouldn't be created in the first place. And without Christ, we wouldn't have the opportunity to keep on living. And it's not just, not just longevity. It's not just a, you know, okay, we got more years than we can ever imagine. No, it is a, a, it is a quality of life. It is the kind of life that God originally intended us to live in relationship to Him and in relationship to one another. That's eternal life. So it's not just a, a, a year's thing, a, a time period. It's also a quality of life that he has for us. So in him, for me to live is Christ. Can you say that with me? For me to live is Christ. We've got to get that deep, deep, deep embedded into our soul. that We understand that our life is in Christ. Without Christ in our life, we're nothing. We're dead. Right now, second point there is that in him we live, we move. Well, interesting thing about about life itself is that um, everything that's alive moves. I don't know about, about you, but you have seen little kids. They move a lot. Right. And, I mean, even if you're asleep, you move a little. Uh, you're in a coma. You, you breathe a little bit. You know, one of the most unnerving things that happened to me as a little kid, about eight years old, my, my grandpa died. And my mom and dad, they took me to the funeral and they had an open casket. And I saw my grandpa. It was the first time I ever saw a, a person who wasn't alive anymore. And it just unnerved me because I kept staring at my grandpa's body. It didn't move. You know, when he would sleep on the couch and stuff, I'd see him breathing. And I just didn't see any movement at all. And it kind of scared me. But it made me understand that, you know, life is about moving. And and so we see that in the scripture that, that God intended there to be movement connected with life. John uh, Genesis 1 24 says, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to his kind. We're, we're intended to be moving, right? There's supposed to be movement in our life. And, and it's interesting that though there can actually be movement with something, uh, I mean, something can be dead, it can still move too. That's weird, isn't it? Something, have you ever encountered that? First time I encountered somebody that was actually dead, that was still moving, was when I went to visit my great-grandpa. His, his name was Noah. I thought he was the original. And uh, because he was like old, old, old. He was like in his 90s. But he was still spry and stuff. And he, and he had this this farm. And he had his farmhouse over here. And he had his, had his barn here. It was a big barn. I thought the ark was actually in there. Because he never let us go in there. You know, like, well, okay, he's got the ark in there. But, you know, because he had lots and lots and lots of animals. And one of the animals that he had a lot of was chickens. And so when we ever go to my grandma and grandpa's place, my great-grandpa lived right next to my grandma, um, my grandma would make chicken all the time. Well, oh, we got lots of chickens. Well, in order to get those chickens, you know, on the plate, you've got to do certain things. The first thing you've got to do is what? You've got to kill the chicken, right? And so I had seen a lot of chickens killed in my day, and, you know, at eight years old. And so... Uh, uh, I asked my grandpa one time, my, my cousins were there, we were there for summertime, and, and, uh, and so um, I said, Grandpa, I just noticed something about how he killed chickens. I said, Grandpa, um, 
why do you tie the chicken's legs together before you chop their heads off? You know, without missing a beat, he just reached down, he grabbed a chicken, boop, and he just literally popped his head off. Okay, yeah, sounds queer. Okay, <laughs> anyway, but then he, what did he do? He threw the chicken on the ground. Guess what? That chicken was still moving. You ever heard the term running around like a chicken with their head cut off? It's true. It's true. I mean, you would have heard the screams miles away. All of us little kids, ah! This chicken is running around. It's bumping into our legs. It's throwing its blood everywhere. We're going like, oh! It was terrible, right? The chicken was dead, but it was moving. Well, I'm here to tell you that I have had many times in my life had a lot of movement with not much life. Have you ever experienced it? I mean, life happens, stuff happens, and you're wondering, oh, it doesn't, it's not life-giving. It's literally sucking the life out of you. A lot of movement. Man, we live in a, in a day and age where the pace is so fast. I mean, things are coming at you right and left. Got so much to get done. I can't do it all today. And at the end of the day, you've, you just plop down and you go, oh, do you feel filled with life? No. You feel kind of dead inside. Well, God doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to know that, that there is a life. I mean, think, things can move, but you can feel dead inside. That, you know, there, there's, a, a, there's a, a, a body of water over in Israel called the Dead Sea. You ever heard of it? Okay. The Dead Sea, something interesting about the Dead Sea, it's got about a 30% uh, salinity, which is about 10% more than the ocean. And if you go over there, I, I've heard that you can like can lay down on the water and it just whoop, you, you boil you up, you know, because of all the salt and stuff. But there's a reason why they call this, this body of water the Dead Sea. They call it the Dead Sea because there is no outlet. And because of that, the water coming in that is so salty, it piles up. It, it evaporates, but the salt stays behind. And because it is so salty, nothing can live in the water. So they call it the Dead Sea. Stuff coming in, stuff coming in, stuff coming in, but no outlet, no outlet, no outlet. You know, I, th- I think that God created us with a capacity to live in such a way that we understand that things are going to come into our life. What are we going to do with them? You know, a lot of people, they, they, they live like they're supposed to be the end point of everything. They're the center of the universe. And, and, and things are coming in. It's like, what do I do? Is it for me? It's for me, for me, for me. And I become the most important thing uh, in my own universe. And God says, you know, I think that, that when things come into your life, uh, in order to feel like you're alive, you need to have an outlet. Like, let me give you an example of what it might mean for me as a Christian. Okay. When news comes to me about someone who has a need, what's my outlet? Generosity, maybe. 
giving. Okay? When news comes in about someone that's feeling down, maybe my outlet should be encouragement to that person. Okay? Um, someone is hurting, maybe I need to, to comfort that person as my outlet. When news comes in of a conflict, someone's in conflict, maybe peacemaking is an outlet. When, when things go great, maybe rejoicing should be an outlet. Um, when, when your needs are met, praise should be an outlet. Uh, I, I think that there's, there's something that about when, when, when things come in and we just make it all about us, everything is funneled to us, right? And we're only happy when things affect us in a good way. We can get stagnant, right? We don't have a mind for anybody else or anything else, and our life is all centered around us being happy. And so we, we suck things in from here, suck it in from here, bring it in from here. And what we need, what we need, what we need, we become stagnant and lifeless. We got all our stuff around us, but we don't feel good, right? And so what do we do? We want more. Maybe we need more of this, more of that. And we don't realize that, that a part of the life that God gives us is intended to be a conduit for the things that he gives us so that we can give out. I don't know if you've ever really, really been in a situation where you were able to give that word of encouragement or help somebody when they needed help. How did that make you feel? Especially when in the eyes of the, of the individual that you helped, they got this, maybe they got tears in their eyes. Maybe they said, oh, thank you, Jesus. You see, we were created in Genesis in God's image to, to be bearers of his image and, and so to reflect him to other people. So when, when circumstances come into our life, we're given the opportunity to be that reflection of God to somebody else so that they get it. They get who God is, that God loves them too, that God created them and wants to have a relationship with them. And we're that person, that conduit that takes his love and expresses it to someone else. And then it not only makes them realize who God is and gives them a feeling of acceptance and comfort and love, but it also makes us feel like we have value, we have purpose. It makes us settle in to feel like, man, this is a good place to be. Maybe you've experienced that when you've been able to meet someone's need. I mean, the youth are going to Utah, and, and I hopefully they understand that, that they're just bearers of God's love and compassion and mercy and grace and kindness and after they leave, people will say, wow, God visited us. See, that's, that's what we want, right? And then when you sit down, you, 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 you may be tired, but you're going like, oh, that was so good. That was just so good. You know, that leads to the third thing. We, in him, we live and we move. But in him, it says we have our being. You know, people get their identity from all different things. I mean, I've got friends that, that you never see them without a sports team T-shirt on, you know? I mean, they're all for this team or that thing. Uh, when I was younger, um, my identity was wrapped up in my musical ability, okay? Uh, it was all about my music and me. 
And when I performed and people applauded, I was like, yeah, it's all about me. Thank you. I'm good. Right? Well, you know, that, that could get spoiled really easy by just a couple of bad notes. You know? Or somebody that was better than me. That would be terrible. Right? And, and so, you know, those kinds of things that we identify with that are not God, that they come and they go. I mean, yeah, you can root for your team, and when they win the World Series or whatever, it's like, yeah! But they only win the World Series like once every 40 years, you know? And, and so the rest of the time, how do you feel? Well, root, root, root for the home team, okay? But with God, it's different. See, God never loses his glory. He never loses his love. He is always present. He is always able. So who do you want to be identified with? I mean, at the end of the day, isn't it best to say, I'm identifying with God. God is my father. He loves me. He's the one who created me. I mean, you feel like to brag because you know somebody? (laughs) Hey, like I know the somebody, right? I not only know him, I'm a part of his family. That's a cool thing, right? That we identify with him, that we have our being all wrapped up in, in, in being a child of God and actually living for him. Colossians 1.17 says this, He is before all things, and in him, get this, in him all things hold together. You ever feel like you're falling apart? Your world is just falling apart? Well, when you feel like things are, are, are falling apart, maybe it's because we aren't centered. Maybe we need to look closer at what, what are we living for? Who, who, who are we identifying with? What, what are we looking to do or to feel or to experience to make us feel good? Everything is temporary. Everything, you know, moves through and around and things happen, things don't happen. And we get disappointed, discouraged. God is constant. So when we put our identity, when we settle in to our relationship with God, then, then we're at that spot where we feel like, okay, I've got my stuff together, (laughs) finally. But remember, look at that verse. God holds all things together. I'm always reminded of the idea, this is kind of a weird, you, you get to know me more, you, you'll, you'll get to know that I have kind of some strange, weird ideas, all right? But uh, they just kind of pop in my head and you can't do anything with them, so I just share them. So think about this. The, the most destructive weapon that we have on the planet is what? The atom bomb, hydrogen bomb. How do you make that? What do you do? You take the tiniest particle that God created and what are you trying to do? Trying to separate it. That's how the big boom happens. Right? It's always been kind of interesting when I thought about that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God is the one. Without God, everything would explode. Right? Talk about the big bang. No. God is the one who holds all things together. Right? Without God, things explode, (laughs) right? What? God holds all things together. So when you feel like things are falling apart and you're kind of uncentered and you want to get recentered, 
God is the place to go. Remember, God created you because he loves you. He wanted you not just to exist, but to have an eternal life that's full, that's abundant, right? So live in him. Move the way God would move. Be Jesus, that old phrase, you know, what would Jesus do? That's a great phrase. You know, living in Jesus, move in Christ and know that he is your center. He is your life, your being. Ephesians 2.10 says this, says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Know that you live, you move, and you have your being in Christ. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us, for how much you you care for us, that you thought to create us. Wow, what an amazing thought, God. And thank you for the for the truth of it. May we now just live it out. Make you the center of our being and let you hold our world together as we live and move for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.